the title of this morning's message is Let Us Come Boldly. And there's something that's been burning on my heart for, for a long time, more the Lord speaking to me since the word was delivered to our church of 24, which is thinking of more in 24. Amen. And the first time that I heard that word from Pastor Craig, I wrote it down in my um, I didn't write it down, actually. I typed it into my phone, thinking of more in 24, and I started to list all these tangible goals that I would like to achieve in the year of 24, and I took Ephesians 3.20, and I said, okay, if these are the goals that my natural mind could think, how much more would God be able to do through these things? And, and as I've been meditating on that, and as I've been praying into thinking of more in 24, the more the Lord has been talking to me about the goals that I have set and how I'm embarrassed to say that none of those goals that were written there were necessarily experiencing more of the Lord in my life in 2024. They were tangible goals that I would be able to hold with my hand, but not necessarily having a spiritual more and tangible experience with the presence of Jesus Amen. So you're sitting here in Inside Church this morning, and I want to talk to us a little bit about what we can read in the Old Testament. We're going to read from Leviticus, which is a book I seldom encourage anyone to read, but we're going to read from Leviticus. And church, I want to encourage you that church is not a place that you come to on a Sunday um, where we read the Bible for you so that you don't have to. I mean, you know those YouTube channels? You go onto the YouTube channel, they said, we, re- we watch the news for you so that you don't have to watch it. Here's the summary points. And it's a danger as a believer, once you come into the kingdom of God and as you get saved into church, um, self-study and self-feeding and self-seeking the Lord um, is a habit that is not easily cultivated. It's a discipline in life that few find, unfortunately. And, and the modern day church, we make it quite easy for you. You don't even have to bring your Bible. There's like, they're sitting there at the back. There's Jonathan. There he is, he's ready. The moment I say a scripture, he's gonna type in Leviticus 16 and boom, it's gonna be up there on the stage. And that's good um, for convenience sake, but what we don't want you to ever believe and what is not healthy for you is that we read the Bible so that you don't have to. That we, we process scriptures for you and we give you interpretations of the scriptures, but you never pick up this precious word for yourself and discover what it means to be a Christian and a disciple of Jesus. Discover what the Lord did through his holy apostles and through his prophets, through his spirit, throughout thousands of years and generations. And so many people, you know, I've been talking about voting um, in 24. Raise your hand if you're going to vote in 24. Amen. Very good. Um, where I've been, my generation, unfortunately, when I ask them, are you going to vote? They say, ah, oh, stuff it. Nothing ever happens. You know, nothing's going to change. I'm not registered to vote. I'm not going to go and vote. And yet, by saying that, unfortunately, what we do is we tread on the people who've gone before us fighting for our rights to have a democracy. Because 200 years ago, 300 years ago, 400 years ago, it wasn't a democracy. You didn't get a say. You were born into royalty or not. And if you're not, 
Sorry, if you are, fantastic. You can say something about the situation that's around you. But we live in a free and democratic society where we have within us the ability to put in a ballot and make a change and a difference. And it works the same, not that the kingdom of God is a democracy, but in the same way that thousands of men and women died and bled so that you could have the scripture in front of you, this Bible that's nicely put together. I am fortunate enough to have lambskin leather. You can come and give it a smell afterwards. It's soft to the touch. Um, It's well-bounded and has a lifetime guarantee on it. I'm not sure what that means. I think it means when I get to heaven that fulfilled its purpose. (laughs) But... But so many people died and bled and fought so that you could have this precious scripture in front of you and you don't even have to necessarily carry around a big leather black Bible. You have it on an iPad, you have it on a phone, you have it in, I was reading the Bible in, in Hawaiian, a lower language. I'm not sure, it's like the, the Son of God give a lot of lower love. And anyway, they've written all sorts of translations and thousands of methodologies to deliver to us the Holy Scriptures. And yet, It's funny that the more it's become available, the less people are digging into it. And that works as a simple principle of if I don't pay a cost for something, I don't care. And if it comes too easy to me and comes too quickly to me, I don't necessarily tend to appreciate it as much as I once did. You know, there's an old saying, it's not in the Bible, you don't know what you have until it's gone. Amen. And we as a church, we had the unfortunate reality of facing COVID-19 restrictions whereby the church was gone. It was closed. Our worship service, I look at a picture, there's like 10 of us in like four rows. There we're sitting, we had like four services to try and get 10 people to worship Jesus on a Sunday. And what happened was the reality of having this church service and gather together was taken away. And so a greater appreciation of gathering together was once again found because it was removed and taken away from us. So you're sitting here this morning and I really want to emphasize, you know, there's some denominations where it's God the Father, God the Son and God the Holy Scriptures. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the reality that the Word of God, breathed on by the Holy Spirit, is the only thing that's going to change and transform your life forever. I'm talking whether you're 13 years old or 64 years old. This is the Word that's going to change your life. If you're struggling with pornography, this is the Word that's going to set you free. If you're struggling with finances, this is where you're going to find solutions. If you're struggling with making a decision, this is where the Holy Spirit is going to take you to direct and lead your life. And so we as the church, as the body of Christ, as inside church, I want you to ensure that you are taking the time to pick up the Word of God. We're getting like back to basics this morning. Take the time to pick up the Word of God and study to show yourself approved in Christ Jesus. And I I was chatting to a young adult on Friday night and I was asking him, how how are you spending time with God? What does that look like to you in a tangible way? What does spending time with God mean to you? And for me, it's always been something that's intimate and personal. I don't go and share all the scriptures around that I'm meditating on. I don't necessarily share with people how my time with God has gone and what I've been speaking to Him about. That's between me and the Lord. And you need to, as a Christian, 
is find a way to cultivate an intimate time with God that's full of intentionality, that you're not waiting for 9 a.m. Anthony's announcements and Joshua's opening for the first time to say, I'm finally here for my conscious bath, wash me, Lord. That's not what we want on a Sunday morning. Over and over again, where's Letu? Is he here? Oh, there he is. We've got three priorities in the church. Amen. Three priorities when it comes to the church of Jesus Christ. Our first and foremost priority when we report to Inside Church on a Sunday morning on time. Amen. That's number one. On time, we we have big loud amens from the ushers here. When we come to church on time, our first and number one priority is we show up as priests. Now you say, I'm not a priest because I'm not a Catholic. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about to be a priest is to one who ministers to the Lord, the one who brings worship to the Lord. And why that's important is the coming to church and and being at church is not necessarily about taking, but about what I'm going to give to Jesus. And that's a mindset shift, that I'm actually coming to church. Paul says, do not neglect the gathering of yourselves together, as is the habit of some. And he's speaking about, as the church of Jesus Christ, when we all come together, I'm bringing my portion. I bring what I have to church to make this worship service what it is. And in reality, my number one priority as the body of Christ, as inside church, we happen to be together here this morning, is that I can bless his heart, that I'm coming to do something for him. I'm coming to give him. I'm coming to give glory and honor and praise. I'm coming to worship him, to pour my love out onto him. I'm coming to give out of faith from a heart. I'm coming to give my sacrifice of praise unto the Lord. And that's a mindset change because most believers are living their week empty. And they're so drained and so broken. By the time they come to Sunday, they're like, please give me some hope. Please give me something that I can take out of this place so that I can have enough to sail through the week and hopefully make it by Sunday next week. And it's a shift in, in, in understanding to know that when I come on a Sunday, I'm the fullest I am to pour out my offering as the saints. And I got my full and I got my portion from my time of intimacy with Jesus, from my time of spending in God's holy scriptures, of the time that the Holy Spirit has ministered to me through the Word of God. Amen. So number one priority is that I'm going to fulfill my priestly function. You can find that in Revelation chapter 1. Verse six, number two, I'm come to be taught and fed the word of God from the gifts that are in the house, i.e. Lloyd, i.e. Pastor Dave. They're gonna come, they're gonna feed, they're gonna teach. I'm gonna experience the gifts of the Holy Spirit as they teach the word of God to me. And number three, our last priority is to touch the lost. So number one, I'm gonna be a priestly function. I'm gonna worship the Lord. Number two, I'm gonna be taught the word of God. And number three, I'm going to touch the lost. When the church gets the order of those priorities wrong, our services change and become corrupted. When we make it number one priority to touch the lost, no longer are we fulfilling our priestly function and we don't care what the Lord experiences in the meeting. We care about your experience. We make sure the seats are nice, the air cons are blowing, the coffee tastes good, 
word. You don't wait too long for it because we know we haven't worked on your patience yet. So we just need to make sure everything runs like clockwork and it becomes a little bit like a sausage machine and we lose the point of gathering as the saints of Jesus Christ. But when we keep those priorities in order, remember priority is not exclusivity. That means that just because I prioritize something in my life doesn't mean it's the only thing that I do. My priority is to brush my teeth. It's not the only thing that I do every day. <laughs> Just checking. Must chew gum when you're gonna pray for people, amen. Because sometimes you see their face going like this and it's not anything that's happening spiritually, amen. But priority is not exclusivity, write that down. That means that just because I'm doing something doesn't mean it's the only thing that I do. We as believers, we tend to overemphasize the point that we just learned. So the moment we learn a truth and a revelation, then everything flows through that. You know, it's, it's the simple teaching of the word of faith and financial prosperity. If that's the only truth and revelation that you hold on to, you're missing what God is doing in his body. That's not the only revelation that's taking place. There's the power of the Holy Spirit. There's the love of God. There's faith for healing. There's faith for seeking and touching the lost. There's so many things that God is doing and priority is not exclusivity. So I want you to turn to Leviticus chapter 16. And there's a reason that we're going to read this passage of Scripture. And for contextual purposes, what's happened is, um, let me explain quickly. We've all heard of the Ark of the Covenant. So the Ark of the Covenant, the Lord had um, built by the Israelites so that they would, that's where God's presence would reside. And they took the Ten Commandments and they placed it in the Ark of the Covenant. It's not too big. It can carry, be carried by six people. It's a box. It's made of gold. It's made of wood. It's a beautiful piece that the Lord said that that's where I would dwell. And so what they did was they set and erected up a tent. You could call it inside church. Let's, for argument's sake, say that inside church was the shape of that tent. And there's an outer court and there's an inner court. The inner court is the stage. The blue lights are the Ark of the Covenant. See there. Okay, and what they did was they set about a curtain and no one would be able to go from the outer court into the inner court. The inner court is where the Ark of the Covenant was. That's where God's presence would be. And no one's allowed to go in here. We're about to read the story. But Aaron, who walked with Moses, um, brought them out of Egypt. And now they're entering. They're on their way through the wilderness and going to head into the promised land. Aaron, Aaron's sons, what they did is they decided that they want to go and access the presence of God without following the procedure that God laid out. And the long and the short of that story is that they died. So Aaron's sons are dead. They tried to get into the presence of God and they were killed instantly. And so we pick up in verse 16, you say, what does this have to do with anything? But here we go. In verse 1, the Lord to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron when they drew near before the Lord and died. And the Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron your brother not to come at any time into the holy place inside the veil before the mercy seat that is on the ark so that he may not die for I will appear in a cloud over the mercy seat. 
Raise your hand if you've read the book of Leviticus. I'm very impressed. Praise God. Amen. So, so we, we've got this tent. We've got the Ark of the Covenant. And on top of the Ark of the Covenant is the mercy seat. And so the Lord is issuing instruction to Moses and he's saying, make sure that you tell Aaron that he can't just come where his sons tried to go. They're dead. Don't do that again. And number three, verse three, but in this way, Aaron shall come into the holy place with a bull from the herd for a sin offering and a ram for the burnt offering. And he shall put on the holy linen clothes and shall have the linen undergarments on his body and he shall tie the linen sash around his waist and wear the linen turban. These are the holy garments and he shall bathe his body in the water and then put them on. And he shall take from the congregation of Israel two male goats for a sin offering and one ram for a burnt offering. Now, the reason that I'm reading this to you so quickly is so that you will be a little bit confused <laughs> for the point of making a point. This, um, these oracles and what God lays out for entering into the Holy of Holies is so distant to us. It's so foreign foreign to us. The, the concept is foreign. The, the concept of having to offer a sacrifice in order to enter even the outer courts. The concept of having to offer a sacrifice to enter into the inner courts is so foreign to us. And, and in verse 14, and he shall take some of the blood of the bull and sprinkle it with his finger on the front of the mercy seat on the east side. In the front of the mercy seat, he shall sprinkle some of the blood with his finger seven times. And he shall kill the guilt of the sin offering that is for the people and bring its blood inside the veil and do with its blood as he did with the blood of the bull, sprinkling it over the mercy seat in the front of the mercy seat. And thus he shall make atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanness of the people of Israel and because of their transgressions and their sins. And he shall do so for the tent of meeting which dwells with them in the midst of uncleanness. And Aaron shall lay, verse 21, both his hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the iniquities of the people of Israel and all their transgressions. I want you to understand that this is three million people and he's confessing all their iniquities and transgressions over this goat. And he shall put them on the head of the goats and send it into the wilderness by the hand of the man who is ready. And so basically in a nutshell, what takes place is the Lord lays up a procedure. He says, this is what you will wear. This is how you will bathe. And this is what you shall sacrifice in order to get into the outer courts. And what happened was, I'm reading the Bible so that you don't have to. I'm doing exactly what I said you shouldn't do. But there's two goats, okay? One goat is the goat for going away and one goat is the goat that's going to die. The goat that's going away is going to carry the sins of Israel into the wilderness and never be seen again. To make sure that that goat never returns, they made sure there was a man in readiness who was gonna take the goat and send it off into the wilderness and make sure that it never comes back. What was happening here is, um, we did the shred this year in January and I was so impressed with our church. I think we had like 30 something people who did it with us. But basically when, when I did the shred this year, I looked for Jesus 
in the Old Testament. That was my goal. I'm trying to find Jesus in Leviticus. I'm trying to find Jesus in Exodus. I'm trying to find Jesus in Genesis. I'm trying to find Jesus in Numbers. And what happens here is the Lord is already laying out. Now we have the ability to look at hindsight into the Old Testament from a new covenant that we have. That's why it looks so foreign to us. But the Lord's laying out a principle and a prophetic picture of what's to come through Jesus Christ and the cross and Calvary. And we as the church, I spoke to you about how we come into church and, and, and there's a little bit of convenience that takes place. And when you have a bad day as a Christian, I was talking to Jabin about this yesterday at a coffee shop, when you have a bad day as a Christian, you can just sit down, you don't have to talk to anyone, you don't have to say anything, you just say, oh Lord, I just, I just can't do this anymore, it's just so... It's so tough and it's so, so rough. And you can make that prayer and instantly you experience the presence of God in an instant, immediately. And yet, raise your hand if you're a Jew. Yeah. No Jews. Bad jokes. So there's no Jews here, which means you Gentiles, right? Um, None of us would have qualified for priesthood, which means we can't even go into the tent. These things of the presence of God are rumors to us. We may have got to experience His miracles, but we never get to go into His presence. And outside of the tent where the priests can go in and worship in the outer place is where the Israelites get to be. And beyond the Israelites, outside of that is where you and I get to be, the Gentiles. Far, far, far away from Yahweh, from God. That's how far we are behind the Israelites, we never get to go into the tent, we never get to access that, and we never get to see and experience the presence of God. And yet Caleb and Anthony, and Simone and Michaela and Donovan and Laurel, they stand up here and we start to play, and you close your eyes and the lyrics appear on the screen, but you know them off by heart by now, and you start to sing and worship the name of Jesus and you start to, to sing and worship and, and pour your love out on the Lord and, and it's, a, it's a few moments to get in because you've had a bit of a rough week but very, very soon you start to experience this tranquil peace that comes upon you. Something that in the Old Testament was never permitted and not allowed. Only 364 days of the year, the priests would be allowed, the Levites, the priests would be allowed to enter the outer court, not where God's presence was. But on one day of the year, on the day of atonement, the high priest would be able to first offer atonement for himself, his family and his sins, and then go into the Holy of Holies and offer atonement for the sins of Israel the whole nation. And for one day a year, they get to experience the presence of God. One day. And the whole of Israel stops on that day of atonement and he offers up sacrifice for the nation and then out he comes the next day and it's over and we must wait another year before we will hear of God's presence again in our land. And in my heart, you know, growing up Christian, when you, when you raised in the candy store, you no longer 
appreciate chocolate. We have macadamia nut farmers. We ask them, do you eat nuts? There's 20,000 tons of nuts. I don't eat nuts anymore. I'm done with nuts. I don't want to eat macadamia nuts anymore. When I work in a chocolate shop, I don't care about chocolate anymore. What is that? It's familiarization. It's, it's making, I just don't appreciate what I have anymore. And, and as a Gentile, that's why the Lord didn't say, okay, I'm going to take the Old Testament. It's redundant now. We don't need to bring it to 2024. Leave it aside. Just give them the New Testament. He didn't do that, but he could have. He left us with these letters. He left us with the understanding that there was at a time in humanity that I can't go into the presence of God. I can't just sit on my stoop and have a tear before the Lord and experience His comfort and His presence and my life can be touched by Him. There wasn't a time where you could come into a service and everything was ready and as we worship Jesus, the presence of God fills this place. And we get to experience who Jesus is. There wasn't a time when you could sit on your comfortable bed and open up your Bible to Psalms and start reading a Psalm and experience the presence of God and He heals your heart. And it's important that as the people of God, we study to show ourselves approved so that we could appreciate what it is that we've been saved from and for. And when we appreciate what we've been saved for, we will change the way that we approach church. We'll change the way that we approach our time with Jesus. We'll change the way that we approach our calling and destiny in Christ Jesus. Because we understand the cost that has been born to give us access to the place in which we go. Understand this, Aaron's sons are dead. It's his child, his dad. Why? Because they tried to go into the presence of God. You just walked in here like this. <laughs> just casually strolled in. Hey, I sit in that seat. You move. That's my chair. Every week I sit there. You must move. And we worship God and we hear His Word and, and, and off we go. And, and you know, it's just like, it's just like so mediocre when we don't have the framework and understanding of what it means to really go into the presence of God. That as a granny, as a gogo, you can pray for your grandchildren seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus where Aaron's sons died. He tried to go there and they couldn't get there. And once a year, the high priest could go into that place and experience God's presence. Amen. So now that we have our framework set, how much time? Lots of time. Amen. I want you to turn to Luke chapter 7. As a believer in Christ Jesus, never discount the miraculous power of God in your life. This is not a religious experience. It's not based on tradition. It's not a matter of formality. Um, it's a matter of the miraculous power of Jesus. 
giving your heart to Jesus and having Him come and reside and dwell on the inside of you is miraculous. To believe that by the word of His mouth, He formed the heavens and the earth is a miraculous reality. And it's so important that we pause and we think on that. We pause and we think on that. Not once a year at Easter time or Christmas time, but we pause and we think on that in a daily basis that we understand the miraculous reality of what it means to have Jesus dwelling on the inside of us. Amen. So Luke chapter 7, I'm going to read it quickly. And one of the Pharisees in verse 36 asked him to eat with him and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, bought an alabaster flask of ointment. You've sung about this before. And behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. And when the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he said, say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors, one owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? And Simon answered, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning towards the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet. And she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she has loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And those who were at table with him began to say amongst themselves, who is this? who even forgives sins. And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. And there's so much in this passage of scripture, but what I wanna lean into deeply is, you know, when, when we do an altar call, which we do at this church, and we invite people into a relationship with Jesus, it's important that we understand that as a wicked person, there's something to repent of. And the church is in danger of, sometimes we want to usher you in, we don't tell you the bad stuff, um, but if we can get you to pray a prayer and join our social club on a Sunday, we feel like we've done you a justice and you're now going to be saved. But the only reason that someone is saved is when you have faith in the saving power of Jesus. And to have faith in the saving power of Jesus, you must know that you need to be saved. And so what happens in this picture is you've got a religious person, the Pharisee, and you've got a wicked sinner lady who understands and knows that she has no right to be there. And so she's coming in as low as she can to get into his presence in the hopes. Remember, in that passage of Scripture, she says nothing. 
Nothing is said, only done. She doesn't speak to him. She cries. She kisses his feet. She anoints his feet. She wipes his feet with her hair in the hopes that he would recognize and grant her forgiveness of the sins that she has committed. That's faith in the name of Jesus. And when you're like me, who served God for 30 years, you know, you feel like, well, maybe not 30 years. Couldn't have started when I was one. When you, when you serve God for 20 years and you walk into, into the house of God, you, you, know, you should have confidence because of the finished work of Jesus, not because I'm a Pharisee. You understand? I have confidence because of the great faith I have in Christ Jesus and His saving power, not because I'm not a great sinner. You understand? And oftentimes, oft, the church can think that, you know, this person that comes in, they, I'm going to judge them and place them in their spiritual meter. And they're at about an eight. I don't know if the Lord can, you know, He's really going to have to do a mighty work to save this man's soul. And we do that. I do that. Quickly, you say, you make a quick predetermined, okay, pornography, drugs, alcohol, you know, just has got a lot of discipling here to, to get through. I don't know if I've quite got the time. Levi, are you available? Jabin, will you sit with them? I don't know if I can sit that long and counsel them through all that stuff. That's, that's ministry talk. That's not having an utter dependence in the miraculous saving power of Jesus. Now, where does that fit in with Leviticus chapter 16? I'm going to tell you. First and foremost, you must recognize that you have a debt. There's a debt that you have to pay. All of you. Every single one of you. And it's not possible for you to pay it. I read you Leviticus 16. You didn't know what I was talking about. You couldn't meet even the legal requirements if you tried. Not only is it written, written in ancient Hebrew, which best wishes for you in the next 40 years trying to get to the crux of what God is saying to meet the old covenant requirements. You fail. All of you. Oh, my dad's going to message me. Son, everyone at church is feeling a little bit demoralized post your message. But that's what you have to know to have dependence on Jesus because he didn't fail. So remember, remember the, the tent and we've got the Ark of the Covenant and the mercy seat and, and you know that Jesus died to take away your sins and in him is no sin. Most of us, if not, I please pray, 98% of us know that truth and reality that Jesus came to take away the sins of the world. Remember the goat do you remember the goat that they, they, he laid his hands on and he sent out the city? He confessed all the sins of the people of Israel. He sent him out the city. What happened to Jesus is he was sent out the city. Understand? Jesus was sent out the city with your sins, with all your sins. And, and he died out the city. And his blood was perfect. Not the blood of goats, not the blood of bulls. You say, praise Jesus. He, he died and he took his perfect blood and he marched, because he's perfect, through the outer courts, 
through the inner courts and he put his perfect blood on the mercy seat. What happened when he breathed his last breath? I think you sang it this morning. What happened when you breathed, when he breathed his last breath, the veil was torn away. What veil? The veil between the outer courts and the inner courts. What are you in Christ Jesus? Revelation chapter one, verse six says that you've been made kings and priests. Our number one priority when we come to church is to be a priest as unto God. So now the priests of God for the first time in history can go where only the one man can go, the high priest. They can go from the priest place, the outer courts into the inner courts right to the presence of God. Why? Because a perfect sacrifice was given for you. And that's why you can sit on your stoop as a priest, and you don't have to worry anymore. What happened when he breathed his last breath? Not only did you receive salvation in Christ Jesus, but he tore down the temple system. You know what that means? No more was there an outer court and an inner court and a place for the Ark of the Covenant. He took the temple system and he put it in your heart. And you became the temple of the Holy Spirit. Amen. That gives us access to His presence all day, every day, all the time. And I feel with trepidation that we don't understand that. And I think there's a lot of us that sit in church and we say, my life is mediocre. It's just not, it's just not what, what, I, what I thought it would be. I don't know what I thought it would be, but it's just not, I'm just not getting traction. I'm just not satisfied. I, I know that I'm a sing and I, I put on my strong face at church, and, but I'm just not, it's just not there. I don't tell my wife, I don't tell my husband, but I'm just not satisfied on the inside. And that's because we haven't got a reality of who it is that dwells in us. How can you have a mediocre life knowing that the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead lives and dwells on the inside of you? This is not Christianese. Understand, you believe this. That's why you're sitting here this morning. This is what you believe I'm just telling you the truth of what you believe. You profess to believe it. Now let your life follow that profession of faith. That there's a reality and a knowing that the God who created the heavens and the earth, the one that they couldn't go to, I have access to all the time. Because of who? Jesus. I wanna read to you from Hebrews chapter 10 and Ephesians chapter two. Hallelujah. Verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus. What is he talking about? He's saying, therefore, brothers, we now have a confidence to walk through the outer courts straight into the inner courts, into the holy place whereby people feared to tread because people died trying to get there. Let us 
enter with confidence by the new and living way that He opened for us through the curtain that is through His flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Amen. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful and let us consider how to stir one another up to love and to good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but drawing, but encouraging one another as all the more you see the day drawing near. Amen. And so Jesus at the cross, he tore the veil giving us access into the Holy of Holies so that we can come with a clear, spotless conscience before Him, a full assurance of faith. Now this affects everything. This is number one. This is the cornerstone of your faith. This affects everything. When I say everything, I'm talking about your spouse. I'm talking about your marriage. I'm talking about your family. I'm talking about your job. I'm talking about where you live. It affects everything. What you believe about this and what you believe about having access to the presence of God affects everything. What's different about this place than Durban Country Club? What's different about your life than the one who is not saved. What's the difference? And it's important that you can answer that with full assurance. What's the difference between here and Durban Country Club? They're also there this morning. They're there. You go there, they're there. They're even playing golf. We're not playing golf. We haven't got there yet, but they're playing golf. They get their coffee. They chat. They care, they laugh about yesterday, they sad about the Sharks losing, happy about Liverpool winning, chatting about the week to come. You know, I send out the young adult team, I'm like, guys, get to the new young adults, ask them about their week. Here they come, they're coming for you. Hey, what do you do, bro? How's your week going? Where are you at? They're doing exactly the same thing. Maybe they don't sing. Some of them do. The drunker they get, the more they sing. You have to go there at 11 p.m. They'll be singing at the bar. And what's the difference between them and us? Your life has to have something different. Not, it's not community. They have community. They've got it. Some of them are more ambitious than you. Some of them are having more fun, Pastor Dave says. Some of them are happier than you. They smile more than you. What is the thing, what is the difference between this place and there? Remember, he destroyed the temple system. This place is a building. See, sometimes it leaks. It's just a building. What is the difference between us at Inside Church on Florida Road 284? or Durban Country Club. It's that we have the presence of Jesus. And that differentiating factor has to make your life different. 
It has to change the way your life operates. It has to change why you have joy and peace and hope. If you read Paul's letters, he's writing thousands of words about the goodness of God and the presence of the Holy Spirit in his life and how it's changed and transformed who he is from the inside out. Can you write that? And changing the way that you approach him, not familiar, but that I'm coming into his presence will change your value of who he is. And as you change your value of who he is, Jesus puts it beautifully. He says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And if you treasure me, your heart will be found there. Your life's not working because your priorities are not straight. Your number one priority is my devotion to Jesus Christ. Number one, I don't care about my wife, my job, brushing my teeth, any of those things above my devotion to Jesus. That's number one, first and foremost, nothing usurps that, my devotion to Jesus. Jesus said, follow me. They said, Lord, we just wanna go quickly bury our dead people. Jesus is not savage. He understands his funerals that need to take place. He's making a point. Don't let even your family get in the way of your devotion to Jesus. Don't let your career get in the way of your devotion to Jesus. This is number one, and this is foremost in my life. Revelation 1 verse 6, I've been made a king and a priest. What's the priest's responsibility? To minister to the Lord all the time. It doesn't matter what environment you're in. It doesn't matter what job you do. It doesn't matter on your social standing. Having your devotion to Jesus as number one priority will determine your fulfillment in Christ Jesus. And you won't no longer have that feeling of I'm mediocre. You know why you have that feeling? Because you are. Because you're not going after Jesus. Sorry. I, I've sat with young people, young adults. I've watched my own life. It's mediocre till Jesus touches it. You make a decision for Jesus and you have access to the miraculous power of Jesus in your life. Suddenly, you're no longer doing things in your own strength. You're doing it through grace. It's supernatural empowerment. The difference between your life and the life of your worldly friend is you have supernatural empowerment to do everything that you do. It's two identical people. This is not about a ticket to heaven. That's not what he died for. He died so that the veil would be torn so that you could have access to the kingdom of God here on earth that you could become a king and a priest in Christ Jesus, that your life would be a living epistle, a letter written by God, that they would experience the fragrance of Christ wherever you went. When was the last time you had someone sit you down and say, bro, what's different about you? Why is your life different? What do you have that I don't have? They must see it. They must feel it. They must experience it. There must be something about you. There's gotta be something different on you that the world can see. You know how I know that? Because Jesus said that. Jesus said that the world would know that you are my disciples by the love that you have for each other. They're supposed to look at us and say, those people are the disciples of Jesus. 
That's what they're supposed to say about the church. We're supposed to be equipped and empowered by the Holy Spirit on high. Our lives are supposed to be living epistles, pouring out His goodness, love, and joy to the lost. I don't care if you're 60. I don't care if you're 70. I don't care if you're 13. If you make yourself available and you apply these truths to your life, your life will change. And it's important that we don't, we're only gonna read one more passage of scripture, but we don't let, you know, you hear a message like this and you say, yeah, Josh, I'm gonna give it a good old go for another two days and I've heard the same thing for 20 years and it's, it's just not changing. You're not changing. He's faithful. The hope of the world, the hope that the world has, your worldly friend, he hopes for something to happen. She hopes for something to happen. That hope is fueled by desire. That's, the, that's their fuel. That's all they have. Is I really hope this happens, Ma. I really desire it to happen. And, and they, they, even, they even talk about framing your world. Imagine that. Man, you manifest your, your future. They, they're proclaiming their future. Um, all these funny things that the world's doing. They, their hope for something to happen is fueled by desire. Your hope as a Christian your hope is fueled by His faithfulness to fulfill His promises. And there's something about God, I'm gonna tell you, He never, ever fails. Chelsea asked us the question at In Community, what is it that you love about God? What aspect do you love most about Him? And I said, His faithfulness. That even when I'm not faithful, He's faithful. Even when I'm in a bad mood and I show up for my quiet time, He's not in a bad mood, praise God. And He's ready for me. And even when I mess up and I make the wrong decision, He's there for me and He's faithful. And He's always faithful to His Word. Ephesians chapter two, verse 11. You Okay. Therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. It's a tongue twister. I'm gonna explain that passage of scripture to you because I read it to someone two weeks ago and they couldn't explain it to me. Remember, therefore, at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh, if you are not a Jew, raise your hand. Ha, ha, ha. I want to see those shoulders work. There we go. That's what hands raised looks like. Amen. You're a Gentile in the flesh. And you were called the uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision. The Lord called Abraham and he said, as a mark of the covenant that I'm making with you, I want every man to be circumcised. So you are called the uncircumcised by those who are circumcised. As the Israelites, they call you Gentiles. You are outside of God's promise. You are outside of God's covenant. 
Remember that you were at a time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in this world. Yo. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ for he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in the ordinances that he might create in himself one new man of the two and so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross thereby killing the hostility and he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. So for through him, we have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer a stranger, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus himself being our chief cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple. In him, you are being built together into a dwelling place for God by His Spirit. Amen. I could not put it any better than that, so I just had to read that passage of Scripture. You are being built together into a dwelling place for God by His Spirit. Amen. It's all your choice what you're going to get. It's your choice what you're going to choose, the level with which you will give God and experience his presence in your life. I'll speak of my dad, um, and I've known him for 31 years and six months. I can't remember the early stages, but I do remember probably from about nine years old when we would go play sports in Hillcrest. Um, I went to DPHS down the road here. I was a very average sportsman. So D team, not the team that you watch. They like play at the rented field at the back of the old age home. Let us use it. Then we would get to play there. Watson pass and I'll pass and it'll go that way. And it's just like, oh, the coach is like a 22 year old who couldn't get a job at Clifton. And he's looking after the, the, the D team at DPHS. He was my coach. And this, these parents, they asked me, they're like, they're like driving up to Hillcrest and they're like, Don't, doesn't your dad ever take you? I was like, well, number one, I'm a terrible sportsman. And number two, he's prepping for, for the, one, the one cricket game he did come watch. It was bad. <laughs> Durban High School, grade eight, DHS grade eight. I actually made the C team. I, I don't know how. But I was, anyway, I'm the opening batsman. Sure, was bad. My, my mom and dad, they come, they, they set up their little deck chairs, they come to watch me opening basketball, Durban Old Boys Club, and I'm sitting there and I'm ready to bat, and that guy bowls, and that middle stump just went, plunk. and I went out for, I think it's called a royal duck, the first ball of the first game, and I saw my dad pick up his chair, and off he went. I don't know, I was just like, said, drag your bat behind you. I was like, this, he probably said, Lord, I'm just going to go to one. And he said, okay, that's why I don't go to watch this guy. He must stick to, stick to preaching. I mean, um, <laughs> it's terrible. You can see it's still a scar there. Eh? 
just need to work on the, the healing anointing in that area of my life. But I, I've watched him for, for 20 years, every Saturday, every night. Um, go, he'll come, he'll have breakfast with us in the morning, we'll have coffee, we'll sit and have breakfast, and 11 o'clock he's gone. And he goes to his bedroom and he seeks the Lord. And you'll see him at five o'clock and he goes for a walk. He has a little dinner. Seven o'clock, he's gone. And you'll see him at half past nine. And for 20 years, every Saturday, I've seen the same pattern over and 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 over again. And some of us, we can do it for a year. Maybe some of us can do it one Saturday. But to watch a man seek God consistently for so many years, and I, I get the privilege of watching it happen. I can tell you that it's true. There's times that it's hard, that we as a family, we want to go, let's go to the beach, it's a beautiful day. And he'll say, no, I need to go and spend time with the Lord. And when I was younger, I would be like, yes, you know, maybe that's why I'm such a rebel, because he doesn't come watch my sports. But what I realized was his devotion and dedication to Jesus is the reason that we all serve in God. Because we watched a man um, who believed in his God, who believed in Jesus, and he wasn't in and out. He was never wavering. It was always the same in the hardest times, but God will bring us through and God will bring us through. And sure enough, here we are and God has brought us through. And, and I suppose over years as children, your, your world's being framed by what you see and we're just seeing consistency and we're constantly seeing Jesus come through and come through and come through and come through and you can only but deduce from that experience that Jesus is alive and real and I must serve him as well. And, you know, we have that choice. I'm using Pastor Craig as an example. Don't tell him I did that. But we have that choice to say, oh, I'm gonna go after God. I'm gonna make my life a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to him for his good pleasure and purpose. I'm gonna be used by him. Or I'm gonna do the bare minimum and I'm gonna get out the bare minimum. And I wanna implore you, I wanna encourage you by the Spirit of God that you would go after God with your whole heart. Hallelujah. That number one priority would be your devotion to Jesus as an individual, as you, as a man, as a woman, my devotion to Jesus and nothing will get in the way of me serving him, seeking him. And I promise you, everyone who comes to him, Hebrews chapter 11, must come to him knowing he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Amen. We have that option. I'm going to read one more passage of Scripture because I've got seven minutes left as per time at the back. But I've kept you here and you've been such a receiving bunch of people. No stones have been flung. Psalm 51. My cable's coming to the front of my body. Psalm 51 verse 15. David, he's fallen into sin um, and he comes before God and he, he prays this. He says, O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. For you would not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. 
you will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart of God you will not despise. And so he's not looking for you to, to bring an offering to him. He's looking for you to bring a humbled heart and to say, and I pray this every single day, Lord, I need more grace. I need you more. And if we position our hearts in verse 17, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Keep the posture of your heart contrite. Even when you have confidence to walk boldly into the throne of grace, we know that we can walk there only because of the saving power of Jesus Christ. And it's that moment in the service where the pad plays beautifully and the keys tinkle. But if you're not in that place with Jesus, the moment I said that, you know that that's who I am. And maybe you're the person that says, I've gone up so many times before. What's the difference now? When I was at youth, I gave my heart to Jesus maybe a hundred times. Because every week I would sin and every Friday the guy said, you're going to hell if you're a sinner. And there I was, I was like, I'm not going there. I'll just give my heart again and make sure. I'm gonna make sure. That's not your portion either. As a church, as a community in Christ Jesus, we have the privilege of being able to serve the Lord together and you can fulfill your God-given purpose in Christ Jesus, free of bondage, free of shame, free of condemnation and free of sin. If your life does not look like that, you can change it. Lloyd and I are gonna be up front afterwards. I'm not gonna do an altar call now, but you'll know that I'm speaking to you and I want you to come to the front as soon as the service closes, as soon as he finishes praying, you pick up your stuff and you walk straight to the front and we're gonna pray for you. And I'm not gonna tell you what we're gonna pray for because that's a surprise for those that come forward. Amen. The living presence of Jesus is alive. We don't serve a God that's been chiseled with stone. We're the only religion on earth where our prophet, our king, his tomb is empty. It's not there. He's still alive. Everyone else, they serve a dead God. They're following dead demonic things. But you serve a living God who's as alive today as he was 2,000 years ago. And he'll touch your heart and he'll change your life if you let him. He loves you more than you'll ever understand. It passes your understanding. He wants you free. He doesn't want you in bondage. He doesn't want you to feel mediocre. He doesn't want you to sulk and have a bad attitude. He cares about your little desires that you've never told anyone. And he wants to fulfill them because he gave them to you. Don't settle for anything less than everything that Jesus paid for. 
don't let his death be in vain for your love. He paid a great price so that you could experience exceedingly great and precious promises so that through them you may become partakers of life now. The one who has Jesus, he has life. The one who doesn't have Jesus, he doesn't have life. And you want that life in abundance to the full till it overflows. Amen. Amen, church.